Dove Men Plus Care. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. It's Friday the 8th of December and you're listening to Game On. Well, coming up today, European rugby is back. Johnny Holland sets us up for the Irish and Champions Cup action this weekend. In golf, John McHenry will run the rule over John Ram's move to live golf. And in soccer, Alan Cawley and Fergal Brennan preview the Premier League. Plus, Marie's been out all day catching up with Sean McGrover's manager, Stephen Bradley. One way of putting it all right out all day all of that plus we'll get ruby to preview the racing weekend ahead if you want to get in touch you can text us on 51552 or you can find us on x at game on 2fm game on on 2fm did you go down marie i had a very good day yeah um, alan Colley is here as well and we were just remarking how it's brilliant that, and this is quite like the racing as well, the soccer riders is really well supported by people involved in football. So you get a huge amount of um, of the big stars of the game turning up and it's just really nice because everyone's on good terms usually anyway because the season has come to an end so there's lots of interaction, there's good crack, the FAI go and it's just a big, I'm a member of the soccer riders so it's just a big, it's our big day of the year so it's good, it was really good. And here I, I, know, I, your, I know your tea total was Alan Colley there, was he... I didn't attend Ruby I was um, otherwise busy but as Marie said I would normally be there it is a great day the relationship between the journalists it's always there's a respect there mm-hmm. and I think that's important um, obviously everybody has a job to do and we kind of discussed this the last night I was in um, but I don't think there's a crossover in terms of stepping over the line I think whether they have to be tough on somebody in an article or whether they don't um, I always think there's always a respect there whether they're being critical or not and that's important Sure, that's a job to do too Marie we have a job to do as well and and before we get to that job I just want to say um, thanks very much for letting me on here to talk about football today if, if either of you were Joey Barton <laughs> Joey Barton doesn't want any women talking about football so uh, it's nice to, to he's see. coming for you he's coming yeah he's taken it uh, I don't know if, if people have seen it but he's come out in force basically on Twitter and he's been given some platforms as well or X as it's called now and all these social media saying that women shouldn't be talking about football they shouldn't be commentating or in positions where they're giving their opinions because they haven't played the game at the highest level and obviously it was put to him that there are lots of people who are commentators and involved in giving their opinions on football who haven't played the game at the highest level but he doesn't seem to take that on board because he says that a lot of those commentators have earned it from years and years of hard work but he doesn't see a place for women talking about football silence <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to Ruby that that conversation or that train of thought is just so old fashioned yeah like we're not it's not 1960 I know what's worse Marie you even bringing up the conversation yeah. even entertaining Joey Barton yeah well I just oh, think it's, it's it's it is getting a lot of reaction and thankfully it's getting a lot of negative um, reaction of course there are people who are giving him support and he's there, you know there's plenty of people that, that agree with him because Unfortunately, there are mindsets that haven't changed from the 1960s and still believe that women shouldn't have a place talking about football. And um, the fact that this debate is playing out a little bit now on social media and also in the traditional media as well, I think that it's important to, to point out, to talk about it, because there are certain people that he's probably thrown under the bus a little bit because it's given the people who don't believe that women should have a football 
a place in football now a platform to chime in and say be really negative and say I don't like this person I don't like that person that woman shouldn't be on this woman shouldn't be on so um, it's just important to, to talk about it and I'll say look just he, back you up here they say that about plenty of men as well yeah <laughs> yeah agree absolutely agree but this is very specifically targeted at, targeted at women as uh, women like all women really like anyone working in sports so um, yeah and I don't think you can have a blanket across the board like that you know what I mean so it's what I, all I've always said about this Marie is when, when people in terms of the roles that people are given the best person for the job is always mm-hmm. kind of my view on it um, and we've got to the stage now where we obviously cover the women's game um, extensively here the growth of the women's game is incredible we obviously did the women's world cup just gone um, as well it was absolutely fantastic so you see, it's it's interesting. Joey Barton has just left his role at Bristol Rovers. He's quite controversial, if that's yeah. the word you want to use about him. Um, I felt it was a bit... It was almost a case of the usual, when, you, when people come out with comments like this, almost attention-seeking. And, of course, the first person he jumps on board with is Piers Morgan. And when you're going mm-hmm. down that road of, of debate and discussion with them... I, I felt the girls themselves I think it was Bianca Westwood who's been there she made a good case for herself she's been at Sky for a long long yeah. time working um, Laura Woods is very good as well but like I they've all come out now and voiced their opinion but I don't think yeah. they should get involved with him Yeah, I think they're better off just as Ruby said this way Marie we enjoy working with you so we'll, we'll move on now will we <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks guys Yeah, uh, we do have a job to do as Ruby said we are Going to announce the Orsi Sport Manager of the Year nominees for 2023. So we are revealing these ahead of the programme, the Orsi Sports Awards 2023, which will be live in Orsi on Saturday, the 16th of December. The awards have been handed out in the night live on Orsi One in front of an audience of Irish sports stars. And they include the Orsi Sports Person of the Year, the Orsi Sports Team of the Year, the Orsi Sports Manager of the Year, the Orsi Sport Young Sports Person of the Year. And this year's nominees for the Orsi Sports Manager of the year are here. Go on, Ruby, you take it away. Uh, Andy Farrell, Irish rugby. Don't think we need to say too much about more about him. Grand Slam had a good World Cup. Desi Farrell, of course, Dublin men's football brought Sam Maguire back to the capital and reclaimed the Ireland football crown. And John Kiley steered Limerick to five of the last six All Ireland hurling championships, Marie. Yeah, we also have Stephen Bradley. We've an interview with him coming up as well. Very shortly, he won the Sports Writers Ireland uh, Sport Men's Personality of the Year, but he's also shortlisted for this OG Sport Manager of the Year. Shamrock Rovers won a historic fourth league title in a row, and he was the first manager to do so. We have Ruby's friend Ronan O'Gara, <laughs> La Rochelle <laughs> manager or head coach. Uh, he coach them to back-to-back Champions Cup titles. We also have Mick Bowen, the Dublin Ladies Football Manager, guided Dublin to a sixth All-Ireland Ladies title. Matthew Toomey, Cork Camogie Manager, he's just departed and he led Cork to the All-Ireland Camogie title. They defeated Waterford in the final. We have Willie Mullins, another friend of Ruby's. <laughs> he is the trainer of Gallopin de Champs and that gave him a third Gold Cup and 94th Cheltenham victory festival victory overall and last but very not least Dominic Casey Irish rowing um, he is the skibbering rowing mastermind and he has led the duo to their world championship title good list Ooh, well, that's, an, that's an incredible list Isn't and it? I don't envy the selection committee at all because as go you were on, going down through them go on, go on stick your head over the parapet go on, <laughs> uh, over. I love Willie Mullins and I'm so glad he's there I've always respected him massively for the way he conducts himself more than anything and the genius that he is. No Aidan O'Brien. I love Aidan O'Brien. But if you were to 
asked me to to go with one there, I would say John Kiley. What he's doing with Limerick yeah, is agree phenomenal. With Alan, actually, I think um, to keep them coming back year after year and to keep the, them performing at the level that they are and to keep them I know it's a cliche with hunger but like you know it's very hard to keep winning something year after year um, anyone that does that I think they're brilliant well that's what's been thrown at Man City at the moment yeah you know, them coming back after a treble and is the fire still in the belly and Guardiola's coming out fighting keeping against Keeping them motivated it. and that's managing thing. all those characters you know? year after year Ruby? Yeah I wouldn't disagree John Kylie is doing an incredible job um, there's no one doesn't deserve to be on the list as Alan yeah. said and I think when you get into trying to pick winners of those kind of awards you're always going to offend more people than you keep happy yeah it is hard it yeah. is hard and also like not that it, it, it like it, it's a big thing but like he's managing and motivating all these amateur players as well like it's not like it's their job so mm. they're they're coming back year after year wanting to play wanting to win All-Irelands performing at their peak I just think it's I love the way he carries himself as well yeah at least they can talk to him though William Mullins is doing it the whole time with animals that you can't talk to. You yeah. can't tell them how they're feeling or motivate them into what they have to go and achieve. I mean, I think that's, you know, you look at it that way, isn't it? Yeah. Way looking at yeah, but John Kiley might say to you, I'd prefer to be talking to animals sometimes and maybe <laughs> some of the answers that come back to him, but he's still able to manage it. But um, You can put them away. The way he carries himself there. as well, that's so important, and I love the way, like, he's front and centre during the summer, does his interviews, does what he has to do, but he's gone then. Yeah. you never hear a word about him like no egos no kind of out shouting and roaring about I'm going to do this and do that just does his thing off he goes into the sunset and comes back for more mm. Andy Farrell of course is going to be up there as well yeah but they didn't win anything <laughs> really? the Grand Slam no <laughs> yeah I thought they did now I could be wrong yeah I think we're, they did win the Grand Slam the big one yeah. they didn't win the big one they didn't win at the World Cup they didn't, didn't achieve even their get goal. past the we won't get into that debate but I think he's brilliant as well, well I do did, like they him did. they won but they lost or they lost but they won that's Which what Johnny Sexton it? said we yeah. lost we won because we inspired and motivated a nation or something like that did they? I don't know I'd say they kind of did the more I thought about it I wasn't sure when he said it first but the more I thought about it I could see what he was saying yeah but I think if you were to talk about people motivating a nation I'd go with the Ireland women's soccer team have motivated a nation and inspired a nation more than the Ireland rugby team Katie McCabe yeah yeah, but I think that's because the game is probably in its infancy, whereas the rugby is like well and truly established in terms of at the forefront mm. of people's minds. So they're what the women's team, I suppose, mm. have done is inspire the young kids coming mm. up thinking we could go and do that. Whereas there's already hundreds of players around rugby players yeah. that are already probably close to maybe getting into Leinster months or whatever the case may be. But I think in terms of because it was historic and their first time ever to go to a major tournament that's where the inspiration is you could probably figure that one out too if you wanted to try and break it down some way in by just going back and looking at the viewing figures as to who how many watch both if you're talking yeah, about inspiring like, the nation the, the rugby now the rugby was on at a great time yeah, for watching yeah. <laughs> like it's very easy to watch a rugby match on a Saturday night as opposed to a Wednesday at 11am yeah I wouldn't base it just on viewing figures. Yeah. I'd base it on the fact that I just felt with the rugby team and I'm not and this is coming from not a rugby fan. So did they inspire me? Did I get on board with what was going on? Absolutely. And I watched all mm. the games. But you'd get on any bandwagon though, Alex. Well no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't to be fair. <laughs> but I respected and I and I did say the couple of nights we came in after those two yeah, games. Did, yeah. They were the two best games of rugby I've ever seen in my life. Would you go watch a rugby match now though? No, you? no. that's the thing. So but would I go and watch a women's soccer match? <laughs> short term inspiration. <laughs> yeah, but that's the, that's the same thing. I'm not trying to dish one and hype one over the other. And this way I hate having these conversations. But 
still when you look at Tala last week yeah there wasn't a lot of people there that's a very good point Ruby yeah I hate having to make those mm. points but you know sometimes you have to be realistic about I know but I would factor in there as well the opposition whereas generally when Ireland are playing here in a rugby match it's against one of the big nations and they'll fill it out no problem that's because there's only six nations <laughs> or ten nations <laughs> playing rugby yeah. or whatever it is so um, then where do you quantify in terms yeah. of what rugby have done like I know that I know they've achieved like, and done well, but there's only eight or nine elite nations. There was a there was a stat that was put out um, by somebody in in the UK yesterday that uh, since the lionesses won the Euros, that sixty eight thousand extra girls are playing football. That's a great stat. Yeah, that's what you. That's you can quantify it with that. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe in a year's time, we might know how many girls took up. The football. only thing I think comes against the rugby slightly, and this is just my own personal view, compares to say if you were trying to compare to a, a World Cup met in soccer and and, it, and it's purely circumstance because of the type of game that it is the stop start nature of just one game every week and it goes on so long yeah. for nearly two months whereas with the football you can go maybe play three games in a week you're through the group stage you're into a knockout quarter final I think you can hold on to people's attention greater that way still said that it just tells you how easy soccer is compared to rugby no, don't even start with me on that one, Rob. You know what I mean? Like, You're not going down around, that road. Never get flattened, knocked over. I mean, like, Oh, in that sense, sorry. I like, thought like, you meant how easy like, it is like to if win. If someone it. catches the back of your shirt, you lay down and roll around for five minutes, you know? <laughs> Physically. <laughs> yeah. Physically, how tough it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And that, like, I don't know how you get around that. A World Cup has to be played just one game a week in rugby because it's so tough on the body. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, it's one of those conversations we could have for a long time but we're not going to because we've a lot to get through it is Friday after all and there's lots of big news in the world of sport and the one that's been bubbling all week is that about John Ram. so it was confirmed yesterday that he has jumped from the PGA Tour to the Saudi-backed Live Golf and of course as expected it has divided opinions and um, has created a lot of conversations and not too many of them have been positive. John McHenry joins us on the line now to share his thoughts. So John, what do you reckon? John Ram is Well, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be very positive about it either to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I suppose, look, my, my thoughts really on this is that all of this is born out of a deep mistrust between the players and the PGA um, last year, you know, where I think um, Rory really was front and central of the opposition to live golf, and uh, you had um, you had basically the PGA Tour negotiating behind the players' backs without keeping them informed. And I think that that really cut very close to some of these players who were, you know, a spokesperson for the PGA Tour. And I think that um, you know they probably went away and reflected on that all, all, during the winter months. And you know, you now have a situation where John Ram has come in and he has decided that money counts and uh, I think most individual players that is a, a prerogative of their own I think really what the, the winner for, for from Liv's perspective on this is that it, there is another major champion now on, on their roster um, they don't have a strong field they don't have strong players in fact you could argue that apart from Brooks Kepka they've all they're, they're, their standard of golf has deteriorated massively over the last number of years but I think the two big things that, that Liv is trying to get out of this potentially is live golf on, on, on TV. And I think that, you know, where it's, it gets onto one of these mainland, uh, mainstream channels in the US and, and across the world. And the second thing is world ranking points. They're the two big carrots. And I think that they're hoping that paying this incredible amount of money to, to one player 
they're hoping that that will push that radar and get them over there. But having said that, I think that the, the PGA Tour is actually a massive loser out of this scenario because you have a situation now where it's being highlighted their relationship now with Liv. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we only have to look to this week where, you know, from somewhat controversially, you have Putin visiting Saudi Arabia. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the, the PGA Tour abandoning its charitable status and moving into a profitable scenario. It has lost a lot of trust with the players. It has lost a lot of things. It still has great players. In my opinion, you know, you've got the emerging talent still there. You've got Rory on one side, you've got Scotty Sheffer on another side, you've got Victor Hovland, you've got um, Ludwig Eberg. These are all the emerging players in the world. And I think if the tour was brave, it should have just held its own counsel and it should have sort of said, right, if some of these players want to go let them go, but we still have the premium product. Now I think that they have a pro- they don't have a product any longer, and I think they're in deep, deep trouble. Okay, we'll get into that in just a second, but let's hear from John Ram. He spoke to Fox yesterday after his announcement. The money is great, obviously is wonderful, but what I've said before is true. I do not play golf for the money. I play golf for the love of the game and for the love of golf. But as a husband, as a father, and as a family man, I have a duty to my family to give them the best opportunities and the most amount of resources possible. And that's where that comes in, right? Obviously, it is a factor. And it was an important one, obviously, in in this decision. But there's many other things, like I mentioned earlier, that make it so exciting, right? Uh, Once you get past that, uh, the love of the game and wanting to grow it to a global market, being part of the team, being a captain, hopefully being a leader to teammates, it's something that is so, so special that... You know, it makes me want to work harder than I have till now to actually prove myself. You know, nobody's forcing us to do this. This is our own choice. And if the product wasn't good, I don't think people would be making this job. I certainly wouldn't be doing it because, again, I've had a great platform on the PGA Tour and I'm forever grateful for the platform they've given me. If if lucky and and things go well in the future, I still want to be part of that platform, right? Live Golf gives me the freedom to be able to play golf uh, when it doesn't conflict with the PGA Tour or DP World Tour, and I certainly want to be a part of that as well in the future. Do you see somewhere along the way, John, where players can have a finger in every pie? I think that's exactly where it's going. I think that um, they will become, you know, I think one of the one of the biggest um, factors that has created this scenario is that um, the, the tours have always had the contractual rights and to, as to where the players play. And I think ultimately they will become free agents and they can play wherever they want around the world. Now, what that means in terms of, we'd say, the tours' finances and their ability to negotiate contracts is something different. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's more of a scaled-down model, but I think that ultimately the players win, the tours lose. Will Jay Monaghan survive this? Not a chance, in my opinion. I think that, um, you know, this is a... This is a thousand cuts, and I think that, um, you know, he is a wounded animal, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that there's this quiet rebellion coming on in the, in the PGA Tour. The players themselves are, are saying we've had enough, and I think that, you know, Jay is going to fall on his own sword here. Well, everybody was curious as to how Rory would react to this news because he's been at the forefront of the argument against Liv for quite some time. He spoke to Sky Sports. Let's hear from him. Because of this decision... You know we're going to, ha- or the, the European Tour are going to have to rewrite the rules uh, for Ryder Cup eligibility. Like absolutely, like there's no question about that. I certainly want John Ram on the next Ryder Cup team. Like I have nothing but good things to say about John. I, 
um, I respect the hell out of him as a, as a golfer. And, um, and he seems like he wants to live his life the right way. He wants to be a good dad. He wants to be a good husband. Um, and look, you can't judge someone for, I guess, you know, the thing that I realized is you can't judge someone for making a decision that they feel is the best thing for them. Uh, is it disappointing to me? Yes. But, um, you know, the, the landscape of golf changed on, on June 6th, whenever the, the framework agreement was announced. And I think because of that, it, it made the jump from PGA Tour to live a little bit easier for guys. You know, they let the, they let the first guys really take the heat. Uh, this framework agreement legitimized basically what Liv was trying to do. Uh, and then I think it's made it easier. And, uh, you know, now if, if that's really what you want to do, because, you know, we've talked about this a lot, product to product, I don't think the two compare at all. Um, you know, the PJ Tour and the DP, they're certainly superior products, I feel. Um, but the landscape of sport is changing. And, and if there, you know, if there is a place for, this sort of team golf and these franchises and all the things that they, that they talk about, you know, if team golf works, then maybe it works. But, you know, my opinion now is um, there's only one great team event in golf and it's the Ryder Cup and, and that's never going to change. John Rory was very, I don't know, he was way more robust when all of this started. He's much more politically sitting on the fence a bit now, is he? Well, I, 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 you know, I mean, I think Rory is an incredibly honest individual, and I think that uh, he speaks from his heart. I think that, um, as he said himself, there the landscape changed in June. I think that um, where, what he thought was defending, and, and you've got to remember, he probably held on to a lot of people from crossing over to live. Um, when that landscape changed, I think people sort of said, "Right, well, I'm going to need, to, I need to look out for myself now first, because the PGA Tour sure aren't looking out for us." And I think that. Um, when you have something like Rory, I mean, if if if, if John Ram can c- command five hundred million, then you can you could just imagine what Rory would command if he decided he wants to transfer across. But but I think the bigger the bigger picture here is that you know we, we are beginning to see this merge now of okay players possibly playing in major championships who are playing in Live Tour, Brooks Koepka did this year. Players now possibly playing Ryder Cups, okay, and again Brooks Koepka did it this year. And I think ultimately what will happen is, is, is players, um, you know, getting world ranking points and then suddenly everything gets murdered. And, 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 you know, I think that the people who will have jumped, the likes of the John Ram, might have been huge beneficiaries in making an awful lot of money. Um, but I think that uh, ultimately we have a situation now where the players will control their own calendars and that may be a bit of live and it might be a bit of the PGA Tour and a bit of the DP World Tour or whatever, you know. John, how will that work then for people who like watching golf and like knowing where it's on and when it's on and the tradition and everything that goes with it? Is it just that people will have to adjust? Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, I mean, John Ram talks about, um, you know, wanting to grow the game. And, you know, it, there's a conflict there in my mind because I think that uh, John Ram, OK, right now has got the world ranking points to... Um, to play in major championships for the next number of years, he, you know, I mean, uh, he's, he's a major champion and has an exemption. But over the next number of years, if, if the world ranking system doesn't change, then he is going to be excluded from playing in world in major events. And I think that, um, you know, it doesn't matter how good a player you are, and I think Ruby would probably know this more than any of us. You know, you are really ranked on on the majors that you win, and, and that gives you your status at the end of your career. And I think that. Um, 
you know, for somebody as good as John Ram is, he possibly is gambling that, that this all will turn in the next number of years, probably before his exemptions and majors run out. But, you know, that is a gamble that, that he's taking now. And I think right now he, he can't be sure of that status, but certainly lives um, position and, and in terms of determining uh, the opportunities around work ranking points has improved massively with this defection. So it's all very interesting, and I'd say it's a story that has a long, long way to go. John McHenry, thanks very much for taking our call. We have a quick break to take. We'll be back with Alan in the Premier League. 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. Alan Cawley reckons, Ruby, that Rory's going to be next. What do you think? Um... Oh, I don't think so, but I think it's going to be a huge change in golf. I don't know how it works. I think the world ranking points are, are worthless. That whole model will probably end up going. I, Marie, I don't really understand enough about the politics of golf to give a definitive opinion on it. I don't think Rory will be next. I just think it'll be a whole different game of golf. I think John articulated very well in terms of what's going on behind the scenes and how disappointed they were over the PGA stuff. And it almost felt as though they did go behind their backs a little bit so now the players are thinking we look after ourselves but what irritates people is just come out and say it's the money yeah, I know. don't be coming out saying I'm growing the game like he's, he, 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 he had the complete opposite comments a year ago so mm. don't say that so come out now and say look I know I said those things a year ago but if someone offers you 500 million come on it looks completely different in that they're earning so much money now and obviously have good investors behind them that it looks like the players are going to be the franchises it looks like they're going to be the game. So Control their own calendars now. Could you say that's a bit like the way Neymar, um, Mbappe, Messi, they all become their own brands, like they have yeah, their own they gear. Yeah, they still have to play for a team mm. and play yeah. competitions. But kids follow them rather than follow the team. So if Messi moves from PSG to Inter Miami, all the kids are leaving their PSG jerseys in the press and putting on their new Inter Miami ones. Yeah, so it all becomes an industry, it becomes business, but is it about winning the top things in sport I still think Rory mm. wants to win the yeah. best but I think it's going to get to the stage where as John said they'll be allowed pick and choose or do whatever they want on, in terms of their calendar throughout the year but still playing the majors and still playing the Ryder Cup so they're trying to please everybody I think that's where we're going to get to and you'll still be able to have your legacy if you like with the majors but I'd be a hypocrite if I said I can criticise golf but not football because you look at what's yeah, going on in football exactly. you look at what's going on in boxing you look at what's going on in Formula 1 Sadly, it's the way of the world and money dictates everything, Marie. Okay, well, uh, let's go back to something a bit more pure then, like the League of Ireland, Al. Yes, <laughs> yes, Marie. So I did mention that I was at the Soccer Riders Awards a little bit earlier on and I caught up with Stephen Bradley, who has just won four league titles in a row and will be going for five in 2024. Game on. Football. What about winning four titles in a row? Um... Was the fourth one the sweetest or is another one stand out? Uh, the fourth one was the hardest one by, by a mile, I think. Um, because of the pressure around the players and around the club in terms of it's only been done once before and and the players are hearing about that on a, on a daily basis in terms of social media and, and their friends and, and just being around the public in general, everyone was talking about it. So, um, And I think that contributed to some of the bad decisions that we made throughout the season. But... I think once we um, once we settled down and and uh, we were relaxed about it, I thought we were very very good at times, and and we obviously went on to to, to win the league. But definitely the fourth one was the hardest one by by a long way. 
if there was a lot of noise about the four in a row, how much noise is it going to be about the five in a row? <laughs> yeah, but the good thing is we understand it now. We've been through it. Um, we've come through it and been successful. So now when it happens, we, we fully understand it and, and expect it. And, and it's only natural it's going to come. And that's okay because, like I said, now we understand what it, what it is and what it takes. And we understand what we have to do and what we don't have to do. So, uh, yeah, that's okay. What about off the pitch? Um, there was a little bit noise about a little bit of noise about your relationship with uh, some of the board. Has that all been settled now? And look, I think when you're when you're at a, a club like like ours and and um, my job as the manager to always want better and improve things and push and ask the board, uh, can we be better in every department? And I'll never stop doing that. That's my job. And if I if I stop doing that and letting the players down and letting the fans down and letting the club down. But I also understand that it's the board's job to run the club and, and they have to make tough decisions as well. So it's about a bit of give and take and, and understand that um, you're not going to win every battle and every fight and, and that's OK. But like I said, the day I stop um, fighting for um, the next thing to make us better, the next percent to make us better, uh, well, then we're in trouble. I, I owe it to the club, I owe it to the fans and the players to, to always want more and... And like I said, I understand the board at times have to say no, and that's okay. Is that the trickiest part, the dealing with the board, the politics, all that comes with working in a big club? Um, yeah, look, the board are there for a reason. They, they run the football club and, and they're your boss at the end of the day. And um, Like I said, they, they run the business, so it's my job to push and it's their job at times to say no. And it is hard at times as a manager but look that's that's football that's the way it goes I'm sure it's the same in every walk of life and every business so um, yeah like I said the worrying thing is is if I didn't want more and, and if they didn't want more I think that would be a worrying sign but I don't think that's the case like you know All things going to plan you'll have more fans in this year uh, new stand opening um, how much are you looking forward to that to, to play in with the, the new stand the extra fans and, and just trying to fill it every week yeah, well, I think when we came in, I think the average was around 12.50 um, that we were getting in Tallis Stadium, and now we're averaging just over 6,500, and, and on a regular basis, we're getting just over 8,000. So uh, the next challenge for us as a club is how do we get uh, move the average up, uh, and how do we get, on a regular basis, that 10,000, 11,000 into the stadium. That was Stephen Bradley. spoke to him a little bit earlier. Your Lives buddy. What's there, Ruby? Lives in Kill. Does he? My home village. Oh, yeah. Very good. I might get you up to Tala now. Um, so, I think we need to... Fergal Brennan is with us on the line as well. And I think we need to talk about Jurgen Klopp, Fergal, and his attitude um, when asked... Well, when the joke was made about the the 12.30 kickoff, kickoff, he does have that 12.30 game against Crystal Palace. But he... I thought he let himself down a mm. little bit. Um, he was on... Was it Amazon? Yeah. It was Amazon. And, yeah. and he... And, and I just thought that there, it was a bit unnecessary and probably hasn't done himself and his public persona any favours, but that probably doesn't matter to him, does it, Fergal? Uh, I mean, in terms of his position, I think we've, we've all seen that clip if, if you didn't watch the game live and it is a bit of an awkward watch. He's done the rounds on social media and, and particularly when it's just clipped into that short little version, it, it really does look, look quite negative on Klopp. I, I don't think he doesn't care what people think about him. I think he's very much just single-minded in this idea of it's a kind of talking point of... Liverpool keep getting these early kickoffs. This weekend away at Crystal Palace is the fourth one in a row. 
kind of from a non-Liverpool perspective, fans, journalists, etc., can talk about it as a a thing, as an interesting uh, little little tidbit to discuss ahead of a Premier League weekend. But he's dealing with the practicality of it, preparing players, training his team, making sure that they're getting the recovery in time, factoring factoring in travelling, multiple competitions, X, Y, and Z. So I don't think he's. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of, of Jurgen Klopp. I've been covering Liverpool for quite a few years. He's a very decent person in the way that he generally deals with the media. He does have moments where he is a bit snappy and he is a bit frustrated. Um, but I think most of what happened in, mid- in midweek after the Sheffield United game was based on this idea that everyone else is able to have this as a side point to discuss. The people that this is affecting are Klopp and his players and the Liverpool fans. I mean, there's thousands of fans travelling down from Liverpool tonight because it would be too early to leave in the morning. That's an extra night of accommodation in London and the expenses that would come with that as well for three, three and a half thousand fans that will be making that trip down. So, yeah, it, it doesn't look nice and particularly out of context. But I, I think he'll probably look at it and say, yeah, I could have maybe handled my words a little bit better. But ultimately, only by calling these things out is there the potential for the Premier League, the broadcast companies to look at this and go, OK, this situation needs to be addressed. Yeah, but like it's Liverpool to London. It's not Liverpool to Mars. Not for a half-tail kick-off. <laughs> they could easily go at half-six in the morning at seven o'clock and get there. And they're getting home early. Jurgen Klopp's team will be at home tomorrow afternoon. They got the half five game tomorrow evening. They're not home till late at night. There's, there's two sides to the coin. How come no one asked them that? No, it's the recovery time as well, Ruby. Though that's mm. why he's given out. Uh, it's not so much about that. They'll be finished early tomorrow and they'll be at home in their bed. It's the recovery time between them playing the other night, and it's happened so many times. Yeah. What Fergal has said there, he's 100 percent correct, and it is a factor and it is an issue. I don't think Klopp covered himself in glory he was a bit spiky and prickly to the presenter and I didn't think the presenter was being mean spirited in any way he was trying to just basically flag this thing that that is a thing that has become a thing but I thought Klopp could have handled it better and he's normally good with the media but it's a definite issue and he feels as though they're being penalised he's looking at obviously trying to win a league title and He's thinking pundits are laughing and joking about this, yet this is a real issue that I have to deal with and try and prepare my players. The injuries going into the game tomorrow. I don't know, is it the time of year as well? Because they're all a bit prickly. Guardiola's given out about the pundits. Roy Hodgson made comments about the fans. So maybe it's the time of year as well, but I would agree with Fergal. I think I think it is a thing, and Liverpool are getting the, the rough end of the stick, but Klopp didn't cover himself in glory with the, the way he answered the question. So you really think that there's a huge difference between half twelve and three o'clock. Two and a half hours. Massive. It's not so much Ruby the two and a half hours from the kickoff. It's the preparation time in terms of when you get when you get up, everything changes. Your pre-match meal. So you're having your pre-match meal for a half twelve kickoff at probably half eight nine o'clock in the morning. Whereas that would normally be twelve half twelve. Whatever way the preparation is, the travel as well because they're back down to London. They've come from Sheffield home from Liverpool the other night late in the night. He said one half one two o'clock in the morning, and then obviously they're in for a couple of days training and they probably travel again today to stay in a hotel again overnight tonight I wish you could see his face He's, he looks like Roy Keane when he says but it's their job <laughs> like, are they flying Ryanair yeah and getting buses and no I know, know they're well looked after but I think that's that's a lazy my heart is bleeding for them now no, but that's, I swear to God that's that's lazy You, it'd be the same for a jockey I'm sure Like that's Honestly, it is and, an issue, Ruby. And there will be jockeys tomorrow in entry that will get into their own cars and drive themselves to wherever they're riding on Sunday, <laughs> wherever it may be. And I know when I was in England, you ran out of Sandown tomorrow evening to try and make the 5.45 from Heathrow instead of the 6.45, so you might get home a bit earlier. 
Yeah, but as there you wasn't often a plane said, waiting me, for me. there as wasn't you, a bus. As you there wasn't something to me, I'm making me breakfast for me either. I'm making sure I had my pre-match meal. Would you go away? As go. you say to me, all you're doing is sitting on a horse. Then, if that's the horse is doing all the work. <laughs> These no, players are running around for 90 minutes. For a, I don't buy it for a minute. Not a minute. That's no, an issue. Not it. Fergal, uh, let's move on to <laughs> Cuevin Kelleher. Is he going to be in tomorrow and do you think he's done enough to perhaps at some stage be able to knock on Klopp's door and say, can I be the number one? Uh, I, Alan and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when, it, when he came in and, and I think unfortunately for him not an enormous amount has changed he's come in um, and he's done relatively well Alison is back in training Klopp said that this morning but he's probably unlikely to play tomorrow because they've got such a busy run of games coming up before Christmas they've got United at home and then they've got Arsenal at home which is the last game before the 25th um, I think Kelleher has done well um, there was a couple of sticky moments in the Fulham game I think one of the goals he probably could and should have done better but in fairness to him against Sheffield United the other night Chris Wilder's come in it was a difficult situation for them to go to Bramall Lane was bouncing um, and he did well clean sheet made the saves that he needed to make but I just don't think that the wheel has moved too much on that I think he's in a position at best to say to Klopp listen anything happens later on in the season if there's another injury or if there's there's a game overload on on Allison, if they're still pushing on multiple fronts come the end of uh, the end of January with the FA Cup and, and the League Cup and then Europe as well, then yeah, maybe he might get a scattering of Premier League games. And ultimately, it, it sounds very harsh on him because he has done well. He is a goalkeeper. I think he's probably demonstrated that he is a Premier League level goalkeeper. But Allison is still there. He's back in training this morning. If he was fit, fully fit this weekend, he'd be playing. And I think the Union Europa League game in midweek, Liverpool have already qualified, so Kelleher will stay in for that. And he has been the Europa League keeper. But United at home on the 17th, short of something significant changing, I'd be absolutely shocked if, if Allison's not in goal for that. Well, I probably think you probably think the same as me. Liverpool will be Palace. But if Villa gets something off Arsenal, Jurgen Klopp will be top of the Premiership tomorrow. Yeah, and that's why he feels it's so important that they're kicking off at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> Just play the game, win the game, like you're supposed to. Yeah, no, um, and Villa, there's a, there's a real possibility that Villa might get something out of the game because they're on such an unbelievable run, particularly at home. I think it's seven straight wins. Um, and obviously they had a huge result during the week beating Man City as well. So Unai Emery is doing a phenomenal job. All of a sudden there's a conversation around the fact, are these title contenders as well because of what they've done over the last number of weeks? I don't quite see that as of yet but as you say Ruby if we're to win tomorrow I think they're back to only one point behind Arsenal Liverpool if they win will go top um, and it's great for us as well I think to have three or four teams in the mix I obviously went for Arsenal at the start I think Liverpool are contenders Man City you would you would expect will get their house in order and they'll be in, in amongst it Villa if they can maintain what they're doing as well and it would be great for all of us if we had three or four teams fighting it out but I definitely think now I also think as much as Aston Villa could beat Arsenal tomorrow, yeah. Arsenal are on a really good run themselves and that was a massive result during the week to obviously get the late winner as well. And that can give you so much momentum, confidence, galvanise you, scoring those late winners, Declan Rice popping up, he's been a brilliant signing. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's going to be a great game tomorrow night. I'm really looking forward to it. Fergal, what's going on with Man City? Pep are, is trying to avoid losing five games or going five games without a win, playing Luton Town. Is it just a wobble? 
I think it is based on where they're expected to be and where they will expect to be, not just at the end of the season, but by the end of, of 2023, given the fact that they can effectively just concentrate on the Premier League now. But that's a, an odd little record that I hadn't really thought of until this morning when it when it popped up, that he's never gone that amount of games without a win. It's important to remember that it's not that, he, that he's been losing these games, it's just draws. Chelsea, Liverpool, obviously they lost to Aston Villa in midweek. They, they drew with Spurs last weekend. Um this is a situation where despite Luton doing well against Arsenal they were hanging on towards the end and then Declan Rice pops up and scores the goal that gets Arsenal the the three points this would be a real concern if they didn't go to Luton this weekend and win and win well Um, because Arsenal Villa as you mentioned there Liverpool themselves they're not hanging around and waiting to see if City are wobbling or that this is a longer standing issue than just a couple of poor results uh, in a row I think a big thing from, from midweek was the lack of Rodri. I mentioned it when we were previewing it in midweek. He's so important to them to stop them getting overrun in midfield. He was banned and he's back now. Um, there's little bits of positivity for Luton. Um, and I've I've liked what I've seen, particularly in the last few weeks. They've responded to a really bad start to the season and obviously they've never been in the Premier League before. But City, this this should be straightforward. And I, and I think he's... I think he said it was a concern or a wake-up call, uh, the form of the last few weeks, and he will be waking them up. Um, and unlike Liverpool, they don't have to get up super early, so they should have a nice lie-in. Yeah, they should have, and those getting the longest lie-in will be Spurs in Newcastle Sunday afternoon at half-four. Alan, two teams that need to put the wheels back on the bike a bit. Yeah, the bubble has been burst a little <laughs> bit with Spurs, to be fair. Um, and for the first time watching them last night, Ruby, Obviously, they're missing the players, and that's that's so big for them at the moment because they don't have the squad to cater for losing the likes of Madison, Van de Ven, Romero was back last night. But for the first time, and we've said all along about the job the Postacoglu has done in terms of losing Harry Kane, and it hasn't been mentioned once. Last night was the first time in watching them, particularly in that second half, where you're thinking this is where to miss Harry Kane and somebody to put the ball in the net because they created a good few chances I thought West Ham were brilliant in how they dealt with them as well Spurs ran out of ideas it's almost the point now where you're thinking have 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 some teams worked them out maybe but I think that would be too simplistic I still think they'll play their football but it's just the fact that they're missing their players as well and Newcastle watching them last night against Everton there's a prime example of a team playing four games on the trot playing every minute hasn't made any changes Eddie Howe had to pick the same starting 11 and they were just ran out of steam last night and that's why Everton beat them nine times out of ten Newcastle would beat Everton but Everton overpowered them overran them because they just ran out of steam Newcastle I've just been sent just before you finish up on the football I've just been sent um, a, a chart by my husband with the most 12.30 kickoffs um, after international break since 20... 14 or 15. 14, 13, yeah. Chelsea 5, Manchester City 5, Spurs 5, Arsenal 4, Everton 4, Man United 4, Crystal Palace 2, Fulham 2, Newcastle 2 and West Ham 2. The numbers don't lie, Marie. Klopp has definitely an argument on this and he's right. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> OK, on that Klopp note... Klopp has an argument that they lose. If they go top of the Premier League, he has no argument. Half 12 is the game you want. That's They'll all be after the half 12s now but if it works no, out. No, I'm with Klopp. <laughs> Callies with Klopp uh, okay lads we better take a quick break Frigel thank you so much for joining us Alan are you coming are you staying are you going oh, we have a match right Alan's going as well right we'll talk to you soon um, Ruby and I'll be back after this talking rugby and racing RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM 
Now, welcome back. We're going to turn our attention to rugby. It is Champions Cup time again. Johnny Holland joins us on the line to talk us through the weekend's game. Johnny, I'm going to start with the biggest one. Well, I think it's the biggest one anyway. La Rochelle and Leinster. Is it the biggest one, do you think? Oh, I think so. You know, the last couple of finals have been contested between the two sides. And, uh, you know, I think you're looking for something to really kick off the rugby calendar. I know the URC has been back and there's been nice interpros that have gotten us ready for it. But, you know, Europe is where... I think we can get our heads back in the game after the World Cup lull and, and Leinster La Rochelle is as big as it gets. Big call too. Harry Byrne in, Kieran Frawley out. Would you be in agreement? I don't know. I think, you know, Harry Byrne probably hasn't gotten his full crack at it yet, so maybe, you know, with the way the, the competition is structured and probably not as much pressure on them to go to La Rochelle and get a win, but I think it's going to be a, a statement win and it's a, a psychological one because you'd expect both sides to be at the, the other end of the competition when, when it gets more serious. But, you know, the way Kieran, Kieran Frawley has been playing um, when he stepped into 10 uh, against Munster, wasn't it? So, like, I think you know, I liked what he was doing. I think there's been a lot of chat about him in Irish camp and I know when they toured New Zealand, he, he was injured and things like that. You know, I think we've been kind of waiting to see what he can do there as well. And, you know, I think he kind of proved himself in the shortest term um, what he could do and I think a lot of people are looking to see him again but you know what Harry Byrne's been on that path for, for quite a while I remember his debut in the AIL he played against us and he had a pretty good game as well you know so his his potential is huge um, and you know he's, he's worked he's worked his start and he's been he's been biding his time there as well but obviously Leinster have a pathway and they've got ideas over there they're long term and uh, we're, we're starting to see that as well No tight for long Will Connors is in Josh Landefleer is on the bench obviously it's a big game for Leinster. What will they be happy coming away with? Obviously a win, but it's a different competition this year. Yeah, you'd have to wonder like uh, how, how teams are setting themselves up and what are they happy with. I, I think when you're in the competitive nature of the whole thing, if they come home with a loss, they'll be disappointed. Like You can't put it any other way. But I think the people that are sitting on top of that, the Leo Cullens of the world, when they sit back and, and reflect on it, I think you need a performance that shows you that you can go toe-to-toe La Rochelle if things get serious at the other end. Um, so they need to see enough potential in that, cause them enough trouble um, to hold on to something at, at some later stage. But you know, they have to go there to win. I think if you can turn them over, it's a massive boost to... It's not a slow start, but it's been probably a disjointed start for them with changes and waiting for the internationals to come back and everything else. You know, So I think they are going there to win. I don't need to look at it any, way, any, any other way. But to be realistic about it, you know, losing bonus points, getting a good few scores on the board, I don't think it'll be the end of the world with the format of the competition, like you said. So how are La Rochelle set up now heading into this? Well, they've been iffy as well, haven't they? There's a couple of bands over there, Teddy Thomas and uh, Raj won't be on the sideline. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's been very interesting watching La Rochelle under Raj in the last couple of years. Like, and obviously, they've had a lot of success in this competition and he's been the one that really has bred the life into them with, with European rugby. He's kind of helped them to understand what it's about. And I think, again, like you're saying about the, the URC in Leinster, I think this is probably something that La Rochelle actually needs because they've been a bit hit and miss in the, in the top 14. So, you know, you can see their their team sheet is, is very strong. You know, it's hard to find cracks in that. Um, so maybe you know this is exactly what they need: a European game against Leinster just to get the show on the road. Really, Connacht the first up tonight against the Bordeaux Beagles at eight o'clock. Bundyaki's back. Finley Bealham is in as well. Tierno Hanlon is out. Good start for them. Home match. Yeah, it's a home match. It's, it's on the the turf that they'll enjoy <laughs> picking the pace up with. You know, it's uh, going to be a different Connacht side. You know, the first three rounds they have to get off to a a rapid start but it gives them a chance to play a brand of rugby that they actually can play when you get into the depths of winter and you hit European games I know they're, they're well able to play in uh, in tough conditions and big wins in Galway and everything else but I think the underfoot conditions really it suits their game you know and I think with Bundy Aki back you know he's nominated for World Player of the Year uh, what a boost you, you know gain line and 
commanding in the middle of the pitch and his presence and everything else. Like, um, you know, I think there's a there's a massive chance for them. But Bordeaux are coming over with a, a an unbelievably strong team. You know, internationals throughout the team and um, really really strong. So that's going to be a cracker to kick us off on a Friday night. Uh, in the sports ground which is you know it's definitely going to live up to the hype We're going to get to know a lot about uh, the different teams alright this weekend what about Bayonne coming over to play Munster in Thoman Park? Yeah probably the, un- the unknown um, not as strong you know Maxine Machinot is in there um, but oh, like there's not a massive amount of players that everyone would know within that squad and I think that's an opportunity for Munster just to get off to a quick start you know um, but Munster have their own injuries they've got a couple of fellas out with short-term injuries John Klein is in, in, in the pack either but I think what we've seen from Munster in the last season or so is that they actually have depth in their squad now despite lads being young they don't really mind and Graham Rountree is very good at helping them not to care about that and they don't really fear anything so, so they, they'll have a lot of um, spark within their team and their attack has been nice so I think they'll cause you know the European game uh, at home they, they'll cause a lot of trouble to be on and you know hopefully it'll be a game but that could be the one that's um, uh, least watched out of out of the the cracking games that are going on across the uh, the weekend. Tyg Burnwell, Captain Munster, and Ian Henderson is back to lead Ulster in their trip to Bath. That'll be a tough one, Bath, big pack. Yeah, that'll be a nice one. I think if you look at obviously Finn Russell coming in there as well. Like Bath has been going well. Uh, I think if they have five wins in, in three games, but they've they've a lot of bonus points as well. So they're scoring or they're losing by only a score, and uh, you know I think it's funny the, the English sides in in the competition they haven't exactly. Uh, been lighting it up in the last couple of years. They kind of had a soft underbelly, and you're you're going over there expecting an Ulster win. But you know, with the with the talent throughout that 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 back side, especially a half back, but it's going to take more than a half back pairing to to beat Ulster. And again, Ulster coming off the back of iffy form. And I, I saw an interview with Ian Henderson. He's delighted to be back, and he's you know Ulster using this as a stepping stone now to get themselves back together. They've been challenged by their coaching group. So what, what better way to do it? Going on the road together. I always find when you go on the road, you know, you've more time together. Yeah, you'll have that as well when you're at home, but you have to travel together. You've got dead time where the lads have to hang out together, get conversations done. So it could be the best thing to happen then just to get on the road over to the wreck. And what is a, a, an unbelievably competitive game with Bath being second in the table? I think they're joined first, actually, aren't they? Loads of bonus points, like I said, and Finn Russell's going to throw it around the place. But I think with that, when he throws it around, and he, he nearly tries to prove that he can play all the rugby if Ulster can get into him. Um, I think he, he tries to prove that more and more so they might have their head in the game while they're trying to upset him a small bit too. They well, they well, they well <laughs> might even. Johnny, thanks a million for taking our call. Marie, at least also have a 3.15 kick-off tomorrow so they won't have any excuse. <laughs> you have to get the final word. Uh, Keen Tracy and Stephen Ferris will be with us on Monday to look back on all that rugby. We're really nearly out of time, Ruby, but very quickly, any good racing this weekend? Yeah, Tingle Creek tomorrow. Marie Sandal had to pass an inspection. They also have the rearranged fighting fifth. Uh, Hurdle Constitution Hill is taking on Shishkin, or hopefully he will, depending on how much rain falls tonight. The racing at home is in Navin tomorrow afternoon. Really good novice hurdle there. The, can't get the name of it. It's a good novice hurdle anyway. Five, four really good horses in it. Uh, better days ahead. And Slade Steel who impressed me at Nace. And Sunday in Cork, the Hillyway Chase. Uh, El Fabiolo, the RTE cameras are in Cork. The hurlers would love that, but at least they're at the race course. <laughs> Ravi, uh, thank you so much for uh, your company this evening. That is all we have time for the official chat show with Blonde and Tracy is up next. RTE 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin.